Hi guys, this is Paul from the innovation community here. Today, I'm with Thomas Wysinski, who is the Vice President of Marketing, Analytics and AI at Schneider Electric. He's a, a real seasoned AI leader, I'm sure he won't mind me saying. Great to have you with us. Uh, thanks, Paul, for having me here. Great uh, to be here. Great to have you. And tell me a bit about yourself in a, in a few words and for the listeners. So I think uh, myself, I'm a Polish citizen, but uh, traveling quite a bit, both for job and for passion, as I love traveling and discovering new places. Uh, sports guy from the background, uh, spent 15 years on uh, football uh, pitch, soccer pitch, if you, if you prefer. Uh, love basketball, skiing, love my two daughters where, you know, um, where work and sports are not keeping me busy. We, we spend most of the time together. And then, yeah, analytics and AI for several years, which is pretty funny as uh, I would never have expected at my university time to end up as, you know, analytics leader. And, you know, you mentioned you travel quite a bit. What is your favorite country and why is that? Um, very hard to name one uh, single favorite country. I love uh, many, many countries, but I think I love uh, Spain and, and Catalonia in particular. For it's a, it's a great mix of incredible food, landscape, nature, climate, weather, and first of all, people being on the one hand great professionals, but also keeping this relaxed mode of, of working and, and keeping together. It's uh, it's always great to be um, in, in Barcelona and in Spain. And you said that, you know, you started out as a professional football player. You also didn't envisage yourself working in data. So where did your data career really start? Uh, well, I, I was not uh, that kind of big professional, you know, it was more like regional leagues and so forth. Don't pretend to be, a, <laughs> don't pretend to be, a, a, I mean, it's, it's not really a career. It's more like a small adventure, but it was also giving me a lot of super valuable lessons, uh, in particular for the teamwork, as I strongly believe at schools, we are not being taught how to work in teams while being part of sport team. Is, is really giving you no choice but to learn how to interact with others, how to take the lead when it's necessary, how to sacrifice your personal uh, you know, uh, priority for the team if it's necessary and so forth. Uh, my data career, in fact, uh, started already a bit at the university, but I was not realizing this. I was doing a lot of research projects. I was uh, passionate about uh, uh, economics. Uh, so the dream at the time was to become first ever Polish uh, Nobel winner for economics, but uh, I guess it will not uh, really happen. Uh, so I was experimenting a bit with numbers. Uh, but then after graduation, I started my first job in supply chain. And, and I think uh, I could really name a day where my manager came to me and said, well, Tomas, you know, we have this weird thing in the data, like our service level for one of the markets is going down, right? But our stock coverage is very good for this market. I, 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 you know, usually when you have big stock, big inventory, your service level is high because you can deliver, right? So what, what's happening here? Can you, can you try to deep dive in the data and, and tell me what's happening? And this was uh, one of the first big moments when you say, okay, now how do I apply everything which I learned at the university to the real life problem? 
and uh, then um, I think uh, uh, I was I was in supply chain, both operations and uh, strategy and planning. I was in management consulting. I was in pricing, but then what I realized was that whatever I was doing, in fact, uh, data and analytics was, was really uh, the number one thing. And then I was using data analytics and insights to drive certain business transformations, right? And I guess around 2012, I really took over as a leader of analytics function first for pricing. And then we had, uh, you know, as uh, usually in corporate life, we had some scope changes adding uh, um, customer insights, then, then adding uh, branding, digital customer experience, uh, broader marketing analytics. Um, so, so I guess that's, that's the story behind my data career. And, and that's the, the how it happened. So it's now many years later, you're still working in analytics and data. What really yeah. interests you about working in this space then? Um, I think it's, uh, we always, uh, we often say that analytics and AI are here to help us making better decisions, right? And I think what's keeping me up in the night, up in the night and so excited about all these things is that uh, I can see how we are making the difference in people's lives. Like, uh, these are not necessarily big things, but even working with your sales teams, your marketing teams, and helping them uh, maybe to open their eyes in the sense of, well, you're going to deliver the insight, which is telling them, hey, for marketing campaigns you are doing, this is working, and here is why, and this is not working, and, and this is what you should kill. And seeing how they are taking this, implementing this, and because of this, they are becoming more efficient our customers are becoming more happy. That's that's really pretty amazing thing. For sure, and uh, you know, dashboards on our phones. We uh, that that's one aspect of how we can see that uh, in in this amazing day and age we live in. Uh, let's take a deep dive into some of the major successes that you've achieved over your career. Right. Um, so I think yeah, um, for the data career, uh, I consider. Um, small contribution I did to Schneider Electric to um, help to transform the company into the um, into becoming a data-driven culture, right? So there are a lot of folks uh, contributing to this transformation and I'm proud to be one of them driving this um, analytics and AI transformation in, in marketing and sales functions, mm, which, is, which is pretty exciting because uh, this is trying to leverage this tool set to help sales and margins of the company, which is Fortune 500, has a history of over 150 years. Um, and, and seeing how we are changing the decision-making processes step-by-step, step. Um, I mean, that's, that, that's, uh, that's pretty difficult, but uh, that's also very, very um that's something I'm, I'm very proud of. Um, the other things were for sure the transformations we did in the past as consultants. Uh, so, you know, leveraging some kind of optimization methods to, to, to help supply chain planning and modeling. Uh, I'm a, a proud alumn of Metro Group where I was using a bit data and analytics to uh, run supply chain and category management projects where, for instance, 
uh, we were using some statistical methods to understand if given product is on shelf or not, right? And this is pretty amazing because usually you do these things by hiring external agency and then you have some faults running around the store and, you know, making notes like this toothbrush is on the shelf, the other note and so forth. Now um, I was, I was running some algorithms to, to kind of um, uh, do the same thing. And, and we had like over 90% match between physical audit and what algorithm was saying, which is saving you pretty, pretty, nice amount of money and helps you to react much faster. Um, so, so I think these are the, 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 the key, the key things I'm, I'm pretty proud of in my analytics career. It, a point I want to latch onto there is that your role is now very AI focused. And you mentioned that Schneider is a 150 year old company and a big challenge that our members face is, is change in legacy organizations. Yeah, how do you and your team really break through the buzzwords and the hype and, and spearhead change? That's an excellent question. <laughs> and I guess uh, what's, uh, what's keeping us uh, uh, very uh, busy and challenged these days, right? I think uh, uh, as in every journey, the first step is, the first step is um, you have to realize this, right? You have to um, kind of you are reading all these buzzwords everywhere you 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 are watching great videos on youtube and ted talks and so forth and and it seems like it's so easy right you do these things and boom uh and and, and they are just happening while again uh we have to realize that at the end of the day do is to change the way people um are making decisions um now, when you realize this, you ask yourself a question like, okay, uh, what should we do about this? H how should we proceed versus organizations which are born? And, and the very first thing you realize, uh, you need to understand what to do. So structure the use cases, right? So for instance, well, let's use AI for sales. But hold on, right? I mean, AI, um, business-wise, is mostly deployed in consumer, business-to-consumer organization. We are mostly B2B company, right? So some of the sales problems we are facing are fundamentally different than B2C sales problems, right? So the first thing is building a robust understanding of your use cases before you even try to prioritize them, right? Because uh, the difficulty might be at a very different level. The second thing you have to realize is you will never run this transformation alone. It's a team sport because 150 years old organizations, you know, they have their own networks. Uh, we have something like, uh, I think, 140 to 150,000 employees worldwide right now. So if you think you're going to be like this Superman guy you know, <laughs> running around and changing everything, well, that's not how it works. And, and you need allies, you need uh, team sport. And, and this goes both for sponsorship level. So you need people who's going to back you up. Uh, but you also need um, to hire or train uh, people who's going to execute these initiatives uh, both technically and as translators, right? Uh, technically, I think it's pretty straightforward, right? Because you talk about developers, data scientists, and so forth. Although here, the caveat is that um, what, what, I'm found, what I'm finding pretty um, 
um, pretty uh, important lesson learned is that the cultural factors and features of characters of these individuals are sometimes way more important than technical skills, right? So the data scientist who will show no respect or will ask no question to your business partners, I don't think he will be successful uh, too much in organization which has 150 years old of history. Um, and uh, then um, I think uh, you need a type of talent which after McKinsey, uh, we call them translators. Um, in Agile, they are very often, they, it, it, it often comes down to product owner role. That means we need people who have very decent technology and analytics understanding. They have very good project management skills. They know the business very well. They have their own networks and they can push the agenda through. They can get things done, right? And this is quite a challenge. Why? Because these guys will manage the structuring of use case and the last 50 meters of the deployment, right? They will deploy this for you. Now, why this is so tricky? Because as in every big transformation, the last 50 meters are usually where things go wrong, right? Like in supply chain, you deliver to the store and between delivery and on shelf, weird things can happen, right? You can lose the product, it can be wasted, it can be stolen. I mean, you can have hundreds of possibilities. Same here, right? How will you iterate with business? How will you manage business dissatisfaction with lack of some features? Or how will you manage prioritization? Uh, how will you talk in the same language, right? I mean, I can, ha I can quote hundreds of meetings, examples, where you have salesperson and developers and you observe them and they talk both the same language, English, Polish, German, whatever, but what they have in mind is so fundamentally different Then, unless you have this translator in the middle bridging them proactively, after next sprint, you're gonna get a product which is uh, very disappointing from the user perspective, right? Um, I think you also need, uh, what I found very beneficial is, uh, um, is really um, plugging your analytics and AI efforts into something bigger. Bigger, I don't know, it can be company transformation, company program, uh, strategic initiative, because you become part of something bigger, right? Uh, I mean, very small number of legacy companies will start analytics and AI transformation for the sake of doing this. It should serve a purpose. And now um, I feel that uh, a lot of uh, us, we, we kind of forget in the battlefield that people will not understand why we drive AI unless we are plucked into something bigger. And it's much easier to explain, hey, this is just another lever you can use to drive your sales excellence effort rather than to say, well, we're going to do this. And then finally, you have all technical infrastructure, right? The scale, both of your team, but also the scale of our technical infrastructure with uh, things like, you know, data processing, data storage, environments to experiment, to deploy. Here, one of the interesting challenges we are facing is um, in legacy organization is how do you communicate your insights? That's, I think, is pretty interesting challenge because... Um, you know, you're a data scientist, you might have infrastructure, right? So you're gonna get the data, you're gonna transform the data, you're gonna run your algorithm. And then many people say, all right, great, but this is in, you know, Jupyter Notebooks, or this is in our code, or this is in Excel, right? And me as a business user, how do I interact with this thing, right? 
And, and in legacy organization, the problem is how do you communicate them at scale? Will you push them via BI tools like Tableau or ClickView or something else? Will you push them via Excel or will you plug them into some enterprise applications? That's, that's really interesting dilemma because it might impact the speed and the scale of what you do. That's a, a fantastic case study. And there were so many points to pick up on there. Like you said, when, when sales guys come over and say, hey, let's use AI, well, what business problem are you trying to solve? And then on the other hand, you've got with the supply chain where there are problems, but you know, we've been doing it this way for many years. We're, we're exactly. fine. It's just one of those things that happens when you know, things get stolen or things get lost or there's a miscommunication, things are late. And, and you know, it's, it's about solving a real business problem which I think is key as well. Uh, how are you dealing with the challenges of scalability in the current climate? So I think uh, in terms of uh, scalability uh, in technical terms, we are uh, partnering very strongly with our IT organization and the IT function is building enterprise uh, um, class uh, big data platform. Uh, we are also having some other tools we are plugging into this platform or operating uh, in parallel. Uh, but um, so that's 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 one. Uh, second is uh, what I call organization scalability. So how do you how will you make sure that people around you understand what you are discussing, what you are pushing through, how they can build on AI and so forth? And here, what we are trying to do are really a couple of things. First of all. Uh, um, it's, it's, it's like making people feel AI, being excited, right? Which comes down to getting them excited, like doing some kind of TED Talk style communication or uh, some um, so-called marketplace during some company events we have, explaining what AI can do based on concrete use cases from your company, right? So you can use Uber or Google or Amazon, which are great companies doing amazing things in AI as kind of illustration. But what really people care about is, yeah, but that works for Amazon. How about us? How about Shandere Electric? And as we already have some studies where things were working, but we also can honestly say, well, we tried this in some cases, it didn't work. And here's what we learned. And I think everybody is really appreciating the transparency of the discussion because people say, well, okay, we have similar situation in our market, so we should be very careful with this use case here, right? And the other thing is trainings and community management. So we try to build a lot of communities where people meet, share, exchange, maybe work together on some projects in famous 20% of the time um, and deliver a lot of trainings, but not only technical trainings. So it's not only about making sure that one, two, three or 10 markets can do Python, all right? It's, it's, it's also to do this translation role. Uh, if you ask me for this year, my team as a trainers, they will have this product ownership translator role as a top priority to be delivered via training. Because uh, as a technical company, we have a lot of people who can code. I mean, still not enough, but that's not too bad. And it's relatively easier to teach somebody things like SQL or Python and so forth, right? To a certain degree. They might not be next Lionel Messi or Cristiano Ronaldo of, of coding, but they can be good enough. Now, having this product owner in the middle who kind of link multiple dots and make things happen that's really a big headache for us and um, I think uh, 
that's something we're going to be focusing on to scale uh, to the organization with people all around the globe. So how do you facilitate those open conversations? I mean, how are you experimenting with the distribution of these insights, these, these new and exciting ideas? Um, so I think you have a couple of things, right? Um, first, uh, obviously, you try to build uh, some kind of formal prioritization process, which we have with our CMO, our you know, um, CMO minus one, our sponsors, um, and it goes via funnel, right? So it starts on annual basis, quarter, month, and so forth. And then obviously we react if there is urgent request from senior management to do something. We try to reprioritize if needed. Um, but I think what we are realizing is you need to combine top down with bottom up, because uh, you know uh, sometimes it's really good to get together with people working in the field. Maybe not even sometimes. I think it's like always it's very, very important to partner with people who are in the field and who are so close to the customers because these are really the guys who can feel the pain and who understand really what's going on and what works and what doesn't work in the reality. So we are also trying to book certain amount of our time to run experiments with them, right? And we know by default that 20, 30% or even more of these experiments sometimes will tell us it's too complicated. Business value added is not good enough to justify the case. But the, building this knowledge across organization is, is, is priceless. And the spin of product is that you learn together, both your users and your team. We all learn this new culture that learning is more important than knowing. And what it means in practice is that sometimes you're going to dedicate two to, two to four sprints to do a product which will not take off. Okay, which is painful because you are getting engaged emotionally as well, right? You are trying to make things happen. And then after two to four sprints, you discover this does not really scale, which is fine, provided you put this into certain brackets and, 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 and this is not uh, like intentional failure, right? We, we, we try, uh, I mean, um, we, we like to experiment. We love to experiment. We love to try new things. But definitely, we are not reckless, right? We, 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 sometimes we, uh, we get some ideas which are pretty crazy and we know where to say, well, stop. Uh, there is a borderline between, you know, taking a risk and being reckless. <laughs> That's something we, we try to absolutely cut from the process. Um, so, um, and then the other thing is communicating as much as we can via communities. And to give you the scale why this works pretty well uh, in our company is because the Schneider BI and analytics community has close to 3,000 members right now and is one of the most active communities in the whole company. Uh, we have every webinar we organize. We have community manager and she's organizing all these webinars, uh, sessions, you know, newsletters, uh, hitting these 3,000 people. Every webinar itself is drawing a few hundred people, right? So um, that's pretty powerful medium of communication for us. And you mentioned that it's both a top-down and a bottom-up approach, uh, right. which I think is important for any transformation. How do you engage and communicate, for example, with the field service people? You know, how do you engage and communicate those guys with the ideas that, that, that you're so passionate about? How do you get them on board? 
Right. So uh, this one uh, is 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 uh, is really um, interesting question because in legacy organization, the very first thing you're gonna observe, be it field service, be it pricing, be it marketing, is that those um, functions they have their uh, formal structure, formal hierarchies, but they also have so-called informal networks, right? So sometimes it's not the guy on top who is really driving the whole organization is not the guy who is setting the trend, right? So the first thing you try to understand is in given function, who is setting the trend, right? If, if, if uh, you will experiment with this guy and if your product succeeds, the next day, all of the other people will say, let's go this way, right? Uh, so the first thing is for both myself and my project and team leaders to investigate the informal networks in the organization, right? Who is really the most knowledgeable, most respected guy uh, in, in the network um, and uh, interact with her or with him to understand um, what can be really done, right? And these people are priceless because they are usually more, most knowledgeable, most respected and really well connected in the organization. So they have very broad view and they can help you to understand which use cases might make sense or not. So that's one. Uh, second is about the art of running the conversation. Really, I mean, <laughs> as trivial as it sounds, you approach this person who has been in the company for maybe five, maybe 25 years. We tend to have a lot of people who spent uh, quite a lot of time in Schneider as it's a great company to work for. Uh, and, uh, you know, these guys, uh, they have been doing things in certain manner. They usually are not specialists on AI and data, right? So the first thing is how do you run the conversation with these folks so that, um, so that you can really build win-win relationship, right? And, uh, and then, uh, what we do is when we structure the use cases, we try to use concrete questions and concrete tactics of uh, running this conversation. So, uh, uh, you know, one of my favorite examples, if you wish, is, is the famous quote from um, apparently Henry Ford, right? If I would have asked my users, what do they need? They would have told me faster horses, which is apparently what he said when he was producing first cars, right? There is a full story if he really said it or not, but setting this aside, you cannot just, you know, approach these field service guys or sales guys or marketing guys asking them, hey, okay, so we are AI guys, you know, you saw AI in Amazon. Now, what do you need from us from the area of AI? Because that's, that's, that's very non-efficient conversation. And I know I'm exaggerating uh, on purpose, but if you think about this, uh, how many of us, how many of analytics leaders are making this mistake in this extreme four or maybe less extreme four form, you're going to be totally surprised how many of these conversations are really not going well because in this crucial moment, we are really trying to push accountability to the business user asking him or her, what do you need in 100 various formats? Um, I found uh, what is much better tactic is to ask about what is the role you are playing in the company. Tell me three most important decisions you are taking in everyday life, right? In your everyday business life. And 
Let's focus on one of these decisions and walk me step by step through how you are doing this decision, okay? And that's opening the real conversation because then you are plugging your AI and analytics knowledge and say, all right, so if that's the case, we might be able to help you because if you're trying to decide which promotion to run in given time period for which business channel, for which products, at what price point, right? Then, then you are really able to help the business, right? And there are hundreds of other tips and tricks like this we are trying to use to become really um, valued and, and trusted business partners to help them make their um, decision uh, better, more efficient, faster. Um, but uh, I found this very um, puzzling and surprising uh, how relatively simple things uh, can then derail very big uh, strategic uh, things if you don't manage well this, uh, this thing. Uh, last but not least, I would emphasize um, two small things. Um, first, we need to be very transparent to our business partners around iterati iterative nature of the whole process. So in other words, we cannot uh, um, kind of inflate expectations right? The old thing around um, under promise over deliver is still valid, right? Um, and, and this iterative nature of the, of, of, of the whole process of development, the insight is really super important. Um, and, and this is important in the sense of if your business partner is not ready to get engaged into this, right? The question is, will you deliver yourself, dear business partner, or your team 25 or 50% of your time to test this in the next four weeks? Because if not, that's not going to work, right? Mm. Uh, yeah. Uh, a good analogy I had there was um, you know, when you're working with someone, it's, it's the difference between throwing a bucket of water on someone's head and a, a massive shot to the system and then they're sitting there shivering cold as opposed to just maybe a couple of drips here and there. It's still a shock because it's still change, but it's the right kind of change. Yeah. And then uh, I think it's a great analogy because uh, in fact, uh, you are pulling this plug together or you're pushing this button together, or maybe your business user will be so excited that they're going to start to take the direction here. Right. And they're going to become more educated because you are an analytic expert. You're going to help them to understand what these things can really do for you uh, versus just saying, well, we're going to do this AI magic to kind of tell you, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> some magic things which going to bring you lots of money. I, I think I saw one of these funny pictures, right, uh, which was kind of making a joke about how most of the companies are thinking about AI, which was there is a lot of data, then something magic happens in the middle, and then there is a lot of money, right? <laughs> I wish that would be so simple, but uh, I think uh, as with every new fashion, we tend to forget at the very beginning that there are some, I would say, law of gravities, uh, like under promise over deliver, like iterative nature of work, like business engagement, right? <laughs> which are still valid, which are still valid, and, and uh, we cannot uh, ignore them. Hmm. Absolutely. And that's a very good analysis on the bottom up part. How do you engage and communicate with the senior leadership on this then? What's the difference? 
I think the difference is first of all uh, granularity uh, of the discussion, right? So in bottom-up discussions, you usually have way more detail, while senior leaders, they have a much more strategic view um, and uh, they are much more focused on making sure that the solutions you're working on will be scalable and sustainable, right? Because if you are, which is super important because if you're going to work with marketing manager in whatever country and you're going to focus fully on dedicating the solution to this single market, you're going to lose the scalability and sustainability element, right? So I think uh, senior leaders are really bringing incredibly important input in terms of making sure uh, we are working on scalable and sustainable things. And they are usually giving you more strategic directions. Um, I think... Um, with senior leaders, one thing is the same as with bottom-up approach, which is identifying whom of them are A, in the center of informal networks, because some of them are more respected than others and have more influence than the others. And the second thing is, um, again, how many of them will really support you, not only in terms of nice words, but in terms of helping you to push through your agenda, right? In the sense of, well, if there is this strategic project and we're going to need data for this project and this data is very difficult to get because this is coming from one system which is not really working very well, then you need your sponsor to help you escalate this if you get stuck. And um, I think we are looking for this type of people to help us and uh, we are very fortunate to, to find quite a few right in, in, in the company. Um, I think it's, it's, it's really fascinating because um, it's, it's about striking the right balance, Paul, I think, meaning that uh, if you just start top down, you're going to lose because you're going to lose this element of making bottom up experiments and cases, which then you can take to top leadership and say, hey, we tried this and look what are the results. Some of the results might not be that huge at the beginning, but even making sure that there is something coming out is, is really helping them to understand and believe that this is uh, really something which can create added value for the business. Mm. And, and you're obviously working not alone on this, I would hope. How would you yeah. describe your, your general leadership style when working with your own team? Um, I think uh, um, first thing which comes to my mind is, is uh, trust, right? So I think every single team member is fully trusted, uh, starting from day one. Um, I think uh, uh, what I'm trying to do with the team is uh, um, giving them more strategic direction and letting them um, take the ownership, but also keeping the balance. Um, so I definitely don't want to intervene in every single detail they, they're working on in a daily basis. But because of my background and the fact that I was uh, kind of uh, doing similar thing as an analyst and you know, not all of them because we have right now full portfolio of things. But um, I think we value each other for the fact that we can have conversation about the details and we can link this to strategy. I think it's really important because if you are able to show your team how what they are doing is contributing to the bigger picture, and on the other hand, go with them and discuss the details. How should this application look like? What should it do? Which programming language we should use for this? Which algorithm and so forth? 
that's really valued and you become uh, trusted. I think that um, folks aspiring to be, um, uh, you know, uh, analytics leaders, AI leaders in big organizations, um, I think uh, having at least decent technical background helps a lot with your team, right? Uh, because it builds your credibility as as a leader. Um, the fact that people can feel that they that, that you understand what they are really working on, that you can uh, estimate the difficulty of the project for them, right? Uh, and then I think it's all about um, building some. Uh, culture features, which which I think are fundamental. Mm-hmm. The first one is, I think, psychological safety, which is a concept uh, uh, very often misunderstood, but psychological safety in the team, uh, this is coming from the study of, of Google, among others, and, and some Harvard professors. Psychological safety is not when you have, you know, very sweet and nice situation in the team right? Psychological safety is about your team members being fully empowered to take initiative and to speak up, which is very difficult if you think about this, because this means that two people sitting together, one guy can look at the code of the other um, and say, well, I think you should do these things differently. Uh, But this is very important long-term because if you will not make your people empowered to speak up, they will not talk about what can be improved. They will not alert you about the problems which you might have in the team, right? In particular, when you're traveling around the world and, and there is something happening in your uh, you know, um, uh, factory, so to speak, right? So, so the programming center where people are developing applications and there is something happening uh, in the team and people don't feel psychologically safe to speak up, they will not speak up. And you will be amazed to see like why people are so stressed. Why are they not happy to work with these great projects, right? So I think this is the very first thing I'm trying to build uh, with the team. Um, And then uh, I think uh, what is really crucial is also uh, curiosity. Because if people uh, have this curiosity, they will go and explore, right? I will never forget as, as one of my data scientists, uh, he was telling me like, ah, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I was late for the meeting because I was reading about new generation of circuit breakers we, we're going to release next month or so. so. So that's a very good sign because they get curious about the products we are, we are making, customers we are making. We also try to do things um, every few months uh, in our team meetings, nominate two people or take volunteers and say, hey, um, pick up any business topic about the company uh, and, and prepare a presentation for this topic. Or right now we are um, managing the social life of the team during the crisis. We ask them to say, prepare the presentation on any topic. It can be your hobby of motorcycles or whatever, so that people are getting very curious and, and stimulated to think in many different directions because this stimulates innovation. And last but not least, it's resilience, you know, because resilience and persistence, because, I mean, um, um, if you are hiring new people into the team, one, one of the things I like to ask them is, you know, 
um, what would be very discouraging for you, right? Uh, why, uh, you know, uh, why would you kind of think about leaving us after a few months, right? And um, sometimes the answer is because the business people, they will not listen to what I have to say. And then I know it's probably not the right candidate. Why? Because guess what? Business will not listen to you. <laughs> that, that's guaranteed. Business, they have been here for 25 years. They have built company, which is 26 billion euro company, you know, Fortune 500, very successful, right? Company, they might go ahead without you, right? Obviously, it would be better to go together, but that's on us to build this relationship and on business to open up, right? To build this partnership but they might not listen to you. It's their choice. And if that's discouraging for you, then probably you need to be in the company which is already there, where business folks are so analytically minded that they, they get into what you say. In company who is on the way to get there, you have to be ready to get a lot of pushbacks, get a lot of complaints. And that's fair, that's okay, because uh, we also gonna make mistakes on this journey, right? So this is type of culture, very open-minded, inclusive, diverse, respectful, which we are trying to build uh, with the team. Yeah. And I think that's the difference between work. Cannot, Go ahead. Uh, sorry. Uh, I, I think I'm um, um, very, uh, you know, I don't want to kind of uh, create some kind of hype here because we as a team have been also going through some ups and downs, but I'm very proud uh, of, of what we are doing in terms of, team spirit and, and, and this culture because um, I think by the end of 2019 we have run a survey for our team for you know a net promoter score of the team and it's currently at the level close to 80% which is kind of amazing uh, result mm, uh, so, so I'm, I'm, I'm very proud of uh, what we have built here uh, together with the support of every single team members we had um, and last but not least, I'm also very proud to see that every single person, because obviously we have um, some small turnover, um, uh, but, but what I'm very proud of is that um, every single team member going to a new challenge, either inside of the company or outside of the company, they are stepping up so much, right? We, we have people becoming lead data scientists in airlines, uh, you know, um, machine learning directors in global financial institutions, uh, analytics experts in banking. So we have lots of fantastic people who are uh, kind of step up, stepped up thanks to the, uh, the work we have been doing together. Yeah, and from a, from a culture perspective, I think especially a legacy company that isn't a Google and it isn't uh, uh, you know, an Amazon that isn't inherently analytic analytic um, you guys have done really well and that's 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 one that leads me on to the next question about about people because that's a very good case study for culture change but what do you see as the big hurdles with regards to people data and ethics because i think that's a key question yeah so i think um it's it's very good that you combine these aspects together right uh because uh, i think it comes down to one uh, sentence uh, which is uh, uh, I mean, uh, from one of these superhero movies. Uh, and I think it went something like, with great power comes great responsibility. Okay? Because um, I think many of us uh, in analytics and AI world 
on, in particular, when we are experiencing pushbacks, we tend to say, well, you know, we tried, the business wouldn't do it, or whatever else. Um, and when we are successful, then we are getting very excited. But the key thing is having all this data together, being able, like right now, you know, uh, I have, uh, the team has built an application which is enabling you to literally fully understand the pricing performance of any of our major markets, most of them at least, in five minutes from here, from sitting in my Warsaw home office, right? So uh, if you think about the power uh, it's giving you, uh, the obvious thing is what about responsibility, right? So what we are trying to do are many, many things to make sure that uh, we make people to understand how much of the power they have in their hands and make them responsible for this in many ways, right? Think about a couple of, of projects which the team was working on, right? How should we relocate resources, right? Which are a huge impact for a few hundred people. Where should we hire a new sales engineer in South America? And, and, and so on and so forth. So these are literally decisions affecting people's lives, jobs, our customers' performance, our market's performance, right? Pretty big things. And I think what we try to do is, first of all, make people realize how great is the power they have in their hands. Second, uh, we are, I would say, more than fully compliant with our company security regulations. Uh, because I think uh, this one is a huge topic, really huge topic. Uh, and, and it goes for data leakage, viruses, all these things. So we make everything we can or even more to make sure that all our you know, applications, all the data sets are uh, certified for security and uh, in accordance with uh, all regulations. Finally, uh, you have ethical things which is um, obviously um, uh, very famous in B2C with all these examples of company X uh, building an algorithm for hiring, which is biasing against type of gender or religion or whatever. And we have similar things for, for different B2B challenges, right? Uh, where we could say, uh, if we are trying to build some segmentation for a given set of customers, how do we build a test sample to make sure that the algorithm is not discriminating uh, against uh, the other uh, groups. Um, so what we are working on is, um, on the one hand, is what we call ethics pledge, uh, which is our work in progress where we are kind of uh, asking, uh, we're gonna be asking every team member to kind of take the ethics oath and, and kind of sign uh, you know, all the principles uh, we have for ethics. And we also have something which we called um, AI and uh, machine learning council for the enterprise where we have um, analytics leaders coming together and ethics is also one of the key questions we are discussing there both in the sense of understanding what others are doing what is the meaning of this for us for concrete use cases and also trying to install best practices across the company that's that's fantastic and uh, I think that that's something that I wouldn't say it's been underlooked but it's definitely not been a priority for a lot of organizations that are trying to become more data driven 
uh, that that's that's from our own experience anyway. And and a, and a good point you made that we working from your home office in in, in Warsaw, and you you have all this data and awareness. How is is COVID nineteen really affecting you, your role, Schneider? And what are your general thoughts on that right now? Sure. So so I think uh, just just to complete previous thread, um, I think uh, we cannot do otherwise as take this ethics thing super seriously because Schneider is classified every single year, year as one of the most ethical companies in the world. And we are very proud of this uh, and, and, and we do everything we can to be a good benchmark for ethical things, right? Uh, now for the current situation, I think um, uh, first of all, uh, obviously for the practical organization of our life, uh, we have very clear priorities coming from, from our top leadership. And the first priority, very clear, is the health of our employees. Uh, I mean, there is nothing more important right now. And I think uh, we are doing everything we can in terms of uh, home office mode, in terms of keeping um, office interaction very limited. And, you know, I think doing a lot of things which, which companies are doing to protect our employees, right? Then the second thing um, uh, we are doing is we are taking care of our customers because uh, they still need our help. You know, Schneider Electric products, solutions, services, software belongs um, in many cases to something called critical infrastructure. Some of our products are powering hospitals, which I guess it's uh, it goes without saying how important it is these days. So uh, we are doing everything we can to, you know, secure support for our customers. And then for, uh, let's say, uh, uh, our uh, organization of our team life, I think uh, uh, it's, it's pretty amazing because uh, we are becoming very creative. Um, so um, I think one thing is you have to um, ensure business continuity, right? And the other thing is to manage the social life of the team. I think for the business continuity, we do a lot of things around reviewing our portfolio, making sure we focus on the most important projects and park the rest for the time being. Um, and we kind of are implementing certain digital routines, you know, kind of, you know, certain types of bi-weekly digital meetings rather than face-to-face -face, uh, stand-ups and so forth. And for the social life of the team, it's pretty funny because uh, the team is very creative. So they do uh, weekly Python programming trainings. They uh, do also some uh, gaming tournaments because as geeks, as you can imagine, we love gaming. <laughs> so um, there is a lot of things happening. Uh, we are taking, uh, trying to take some virtual uh, digital lunches or dinners um and, and and i think uh so far it's working uh pretty well one of the key takeaways is that um definitely we have to be more challenging uh, um to ourselves regarding our priorities and our efficiency um because um i think there are still some opportunities to become more efficient uh and faster uh, in, in everything we do. Excellent. Now the last few questions, uh, I, I'm, I'm just cognizant of time. Uh, yep. so we'll call it a quick fire round and this means you'll have no more than 30 seconds to answer them and I'm going to reel off loads of them. So you, are you ready? Let's get it started. What was the biggest mistake you made during your career? 
the biggest mistake was uh, in consulting times where during one of the presentations in front of the board of the customer, I confused the data sets and I was presenting them an insight, which it turned out doesn't make any sense because the data behind this was wrong. Brilliant. What's the best piece of advice you ever received? Um, that you cannot run a marathon with the sprinter uh, speed. Uh, you know, I tend to do a lot of things uh, and, I, and I love to get things done fast. And one uh, of my first uh, manager in Schneider, he was a great coach as well for me. And he explained to me that, uh, well, Thomas, uh, it's great that you have all this passion and energy but you have to understand that you're going to be running marathon and these transformations are marathons, not sprints. And you cannot run a marathon with a sprinter. <laughs> Absolutely. What does your daily routine look like? So uh, I don't have too many daily routines, but uh, I love to do certain things in the morning. Uh, I think uh, what I love to do in the morning is the time with my uh, daughters. Uh, to have a bit of fun with my daughters, to put uh, good uh, optimistic music uh, vibes on and sometimes also to call uh, some of my friends on my way to work to, to, to make some jokes, to exchange stories and so forth. Because all these things are helping you to, to, to energize. Um, maybe not daily routine, but pretty often I love to do Tai Chi exercise and, and a bit of uh, meditation as it helps to relax uh, your mind and, and to recharge your mind. Very cool. What is your top working from home tip? Uh, make sure, I mean, it's, it's very trivial, but uh, make sure you organize uh, the space uh, uh, where you can work in a very non-destructive mode, right? In particular, living with kids and family. I mean, uh, it's really important to have a place where you can work in non-destructive mode. And if, if you can't do it, then get yourself a great headset, big headset, which is, you know, cancelling all the noise around. And uh, that uh, that's, uh, helps a lot. Exhibit A. Exactly the ones you have, right? Or, <laughs> or, or even bigger if, if you prefer, right? Yeah, exactly. Where do you see the biggest opportunity for improvement within Schneider? I mean, uh, um, I would maybe um, fine-tune the question a bit saying about my scope, right? Because uh, I'm sure my colleagues from other domains, uh, they have their own challenges and opportunities for improvement. Uh, for us is... Um, uh, cutting the lead time between idea and scaling. So uh, in other words, in plain English, getting faster. <laughs> Absolutely. What are you curious about right now? Obviously, I'm curious uh, when we're going to get back to normal. <laughs> and, uh, and I think I'm, I'm, I'm super curious uh, as non-expert, but I'm um, I'm super curious about all these virus things and trying to read as much as I can to understand what we are really dealing with. And I'm also very curious about what we're going to learn as, as uh, mankind, as, as societies, as governments from this, uh, so that uh, next time when these type of things will come, we're going to be uh, much better prepared to manage them. Who is your favorite thought leader or author? Fortunately, there are an author, so I have a couple of them. So in the domain of uh, analytics and AI, that's uh, for sure Andrew Eng and, and DJ uh, Patil. 
but uh, I love uh, also to read uh, um, the books, which are memories of great, uh, um, great players, great uh, business people. And here uh, there is uh, one person I would like to emphasize, uh, John Wooden, who used to be one of the most famous basketball coaches in the U.S. I, I really love uh, his, uh, his books. And, and finally, uh, I love, uh, it's a bit old style, but uh, well, <laughs> uh, I love to read uh, uh, books from the uh, old uh, and Zion Stoics like Marcus Aurelius Meditations and Seneca Letters. Meditations is one of my current reads, actually. So <laughs> yeah. It's, an, it's impressive considering how old it is. Uh, what is your favorite quote? Because we've had a couple um maybe yeah. there's a new one um yeah i think uh, I, I i like quotes because uh quotes uh can help you to kind of emphasize the point or kind of stimulate uh, this one particular element you need right but i think uh one of my favorite quotes uh is coming again from the famous coach john wooden uh, and and it uh, goes something like uh, don't cry, don't complain, don't make excuses uh, as, a, as a principle for, you know, uh, making sure that you can uh, really uh, manage things in the right way. And Coke, favorite one, would be coming from, uh, uh, from, from Stoics uh, saying, do the right thing no matter what, which is, uh, in fact, I have one of... Um, I have a big golden coin, uh, uh, which is just you know having this this quote on it, uh, uh, taking this uh, this coin always in my wallet with me, as it reminds me about you know being courageous always, no matter what, and and doing the right thing no matter what. If there's a, an apocalypse as the result of the coronavirus, I'm sure that will be very valuable currency to give to people knowledge <laughs> i hope so I, I i hope uh i hope that the apocalypse will not happen so no, absolutely <laughs> I, keep, I keep it for later <laughs> <laughs> and last question what advice would you give for aspiring leaders in data and ai uh the most inspiring leader in data and ai right uh what advice would you give ah, for aspiring leaders for aspiring leaders um i think um i would I would say get ready for a roller coaster ride. Um, get prepared for the fact it's not going to be easy, uh, and the fact it's not so easy, it's it's making this uh, so much of a fun. Okay, and uh, be open-minded. Be open-minded, curious, but be also very, very resilient. Great advice from Thomas Wysinski, AI leader at Schneider Electric. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Paul. My pleasure.